Welcome to the Develop in the Dark podcast, brought to you by New Spring Church. We'll prepare you with biblical truths to help you meet the demands of your reality. In today's episode, Brad and I are going to dive into the doctrine of Imago Dei. You know, it's a critical doctrine. It's a doctrine that's particularly important in this moment in our culture. The message we often hear is that we're not valuable or somehow that we are the center of the universe. But that's not the Christian message, and we're going to talk about that today. God made us in His image. We'll be talking today about human value and dignity, why my life matters, why your life matters. I hope you enjoy this conversation as you develop in the dark. Brad, today we're talking about this question. Why is human life valuable? Why do you matter? Why do I matter? Why do we all matter? Why do people matter? We're talking about a phrase, Trev. And it's an important one. And I just It may be your favorite. I, I am this is like a giddy thing for me because I love this doctrine. It's called the doctrine of the Imago Dei. Mm. Just coming from the, the words image of God. Yeah. Imago image from mm. Latin image and Dei God. And where does it come from, Trev? Just give us a little backstory. You well, know, you know, in the scriptures it comes from Genesis one twenty six and seven. It says, Let us make man in our image. You know, in the Hebrew scriptures, this word is selim, which is essentially to cut out. And in the New Testament, you're getting a word like icon in Greek Mm. that is really descriptive of what image means. It's this idea of being a reflection, a mirrored reflection of the person that has created you. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you, I know you've taught on this a bunch. I've taught on this a bunch. It is one of those what I like to call a preacher's preach. Well, it's a key essential of the Christian life. You just love talking about it. And you're going to see it everywhere. Some of you, this might be a new phrase for you today. I remember uh, years ago, I taught a series called Imago Dei at our student ministry. Mm. I mean, I'm talking 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds. And it was only six weeks, but man, we had a blast teaching it because it's so applicable. And you see actually how the church has cultivated this doctrine, and it's changed the world. That's exactly right. The idea of Imago Dei is, you know, our culture wants us to devalue human life at the same time overvalue ourselves. So we have this weird kind of thing that we're in where uh, we're the center of the universe, but at the same time, culture is telling us we don't matter at all. Wow. And what we're going to do today as we talk about Imago Dei from the, from the scriptures is try to calibrate what is the biblical way to, to think about, what is God's way of thinking about human value and how I matter. You know, so much of value is determined in our culture by what you produce. Hmm. And what happens if your ability to produce is taken away? Do yeah. you really matter as a yeah. human? Yeah. Uh, we we do this very naturally. This is not just simply a Christian, non-Christian thing. Christians can, can fall into a trap as well. You think about the idea that I'm looking at a person and I value them based on their success, how much money they make, their looks, yep. their social influence, yep. and all of a sudden, I've fallen into the trap. Yep. And I've devalued that person. Or I've placed the value I have on them based on one thing and one thing only, what Mm. they can give me, what they potentially platform. And so this is a really, really important question. Why is human life valuable? Mm. What makes a human have value? Are we valuable because we 
have learned a certain amount? Are we valuable because of pedigree? Are we valuable because of the DNA we hold? I mean, you think about even historically, if people were in a certain lineage and they had the DNA of a king or they Mm. were the prince, okay, is that what makes us valuable? What makes human life valuable? We're going to go ahead and say it is valuable. Yes, it is. Based on the fact that we're made in the image of God. I love the quotation from C.S. Lewis where he talks about that there are no ordinary people. No. Um, you've never talked to a mere mortal. That's out of a larger quotation from Weight of Glory. But the, the fact that when you and I are at the grocery store and we're talking to the, the cashier, when you and I are at the dinner table and we're talking to the, the server, we have a conflict at school with one of the teachers, and we can think this person is no mere mortal. This person is made in the image of God. It's going to change the way we think about them. It's going to change the way we act toward people. It is an important doctrine. Yeah, and it's changed the way that human history has been written because people have understood this Imago day and they've begun to walk that out. Mm. And so we mentioned it right up front, but Genesis 1, 26, 27, it says, there is a likeness that we have, humanity has to God. Mm. There is a likeness. We are like God. Now, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. We are not God. That's a whole other religion, by the way. Mm. We are like God. Mm. And so when I look around the world and I see the beauty and the diversity and the images of different kinds of people and ethnicities and tribes and languages, I am looking at a beautiful kind of a disco ball, if you will, Trevor, Mm. of the likeness and image of God, male, female, dark, light, from different times and spaces in all of human history, we are like God. It it will just blow your mind up to think about how many different kinds of people there are in the world. Just in our moment, 8 billion plus. Yeah, 8.4, I think. Right. (laughs) But over time, how many people, and individual uniqueness to every one of those people, and yet we're all made in the image of God. It lets you know something about God and how amazing yeah, he is. Grand, grand majestic. Grand These scale. huge words come to, We're to mind. We're like God. In the same way, we are unlike the rest of the created order. Yeah. And so when you see the creation story, humanity was done on the very last day of creation. And the Lord said just as much, nothing else was made in the image and likeness of God, mm. but humanity. Mm. So this gives us a little bit of our awareness in terms of calibrating our ordering of loves when it comes to the created things. Mm. So though we all love the beauty and grandeur of creation, we should love more the beauty and grandeur of humanity. It's sacred. It's set apart. That's exactly right. When I think about this difference between the created order and humanity, all of creation acts according to its nature. If I think about this little puppy that I have, and the puppy that I have, it doesn't matter how many times I tell it not to bark, it's going to go right with its nature. you got to take that thing to a trainer, man. Well, you know, (laughs) my point is is that dogs act according to their nature. A rock is going to act like a rock. A tree is going to act like a tree. One of the ways we've been made different is God has delegated to us the ability Ability to act contrary to how we just normally think. Hmm. You and I have been given a delegated sovereignty. We've been given choice. So we're not just creatures who act according to our nature. God has given us personhood. Beautiful. And personhood means that we have the ability to make choices that matter. We have the dignity 
of decision. Right. Amazing. And we have volition is another way it gets talked about. Mm-hmm. We have a will because we've been made in the image of a God with all of those things. Now, how God's sovereignty and our ability to make choices mixes together, there's some white place, places on the map for me. I just I don't understand yeah, Beautiful that exactly. mystery. Another podcast. Another podcast for another time. But But we have the ability to make choices. Now, think about being a created person. You're a created person. When your creaturehood is elevated beyond what God has asked, you are denigrated. You are thought lower of than you actually are. When your personhood is elevated, then the hu- humanity is deified. Wow. Right? You've got to have both of those okay, things Okay, explain that again, because I think maybe somebody was not even hearing what you just said. Trev, that is I'm, so good. I'm lifting this from an old guy named Anthony Hoikima. He has a beautiful book on the image of God. He talks about being a created person. You're not just a creature like every other creature. Yeah, like a bear, a tiger, a a dog, a cat. You're a created person. When your creaturehood is elevated, humankind gets denigrated. Denigrated. Give give us an example. How how is our creaturehood elevated? We follow our stomach, we follow our cravings, we follow follow the flesh. Or you just even think about someone as a creature. Ah. You put them in the same category as a tree. So that, that would be... Objectification functionally exactly. is exactly. just looking at someone not as a, as a person. They're a creature. I'm going to consume them. Mm. And this is how things like human trafficking occurs exactly. or abuse or occurs, all wanna, of these yeah. things. So we've elevated the creature side. Exactly. Right. And then when you elevate the personhood side, you're elevating a person's sovereignty and choice, and now that person's deified. So they're made a demigod or a god themselves. So this would be like Pharaoh in the Old Testament, the God-man, right? And you see these ditches in our culture today. We see When we don't have the right view of Imago Dei, we fall on one of two sides. We're either devaluing, denigrating, and devaluing human life, or we're elevating people and to their gods. And usually wow. we're the ones doing it to ourselves. Like we're putting ourselves in the center and, and, we're, denigrating, to, yes. and we're denigrating other people. You're exactly right. We probably do both at the same time. Mm. That I am using people for my own benefit and I'm trying to get the rest of my world to revolve around me mm. and deify. So when we think about celebrity or celebration of humanity in such a way that deifies, that would be lifting up the personhood beyond where it should live. That's right. And when we think about using people or objectification, it degrades. And so the Imago Dei is going to help us calibrate, Mm. which is what we want to do, and it's going to help us give dignity to every kind of person, no matter what they can produce or do for me. And when you see this thing work out, Trev, this is when you see the beauty of Christian worldview. Mm. And I mean, some things are coming to my mind right now, but I mean, I want you to think about this. When you you know, I'm not going to name countries right now, but there are countries in the earth right now that, Trevor, they have zero Down syndrome children. Mm. Zero. Oh, because they eliminate them. They they find out in utero that mm. we're pregnant with a Down syndrome child. That's not acceptable or that's not ideal. And so elimination occurs. It's uh, It's... Essentially, genetic manipulation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that would be one aspect of not having a an imago day tension mm. driving your cultural worldview. Mm. 
yesterday, I actually had lunch with another pastor, and we were sitting beside a family that he knew, and this family has led this beautiful special needs ministry because one of the children of the home is an adult special needs child. Mm. And this last year, they ended up having at their church, the very first time ever, this night to remember this prom for all of these special needs kids that are in their community. Uh, Maybe some of our listeners have, have actually seen this. I think Tim Tebow is really big in this. And they were just talking about how beautiful it was and what an incredible celebration it was because all of these adult special needs children that have grown up get to be celebrated and it's a night to shine is the name mm. of the the ministry it was awesome beautiful. but that's a difference and a distinction that it comes from the Imago Day there are so many outworkings of the Imago Day and you're talking about how we relate to folks who have maybe not as much capacity as other folks right right but education is a perfect example that we want people to be educated is an outworking of Imago Day. Wow. Um, that we want to see people cured through medicine is an outworking of Imago Day. That we want to protect women, children, orphans, widows. It's an outworking of Imago Day. You can keep going down the list. We do not kill off the weak in our society. We don't kill off elderly people. We don't kill the unborn. Right? Unbelievable. These things all come from this doctrine of Imago Day. And if you think about it, many, many worldviews don't have this. Mm. They don't. This is specific and distinctive of a Christian worldview. As you begin to meditate on this, as you're developing in the dark, there are applications here for how to interact with artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's coming. AI. You know, the fact that we're made in the image of God has something to say about our personhood. And we're creating, with our, with our digital presence, many times we're creating a persona out there, and there's, a, there's a, a distance between our digital self and our real self, our avatar, if you will, yep. and our real self. And what is the damage that that's doing to our soul? And we've got to think about that. This has application to racism. It has application to how we treat strangers and immigrants. It has application to, as you've already said, how we uh, treat disabled, mentally ch- and, you know, challenged folks. How we treat people and value them matters. And if you don't have a MAGA day, where does your sense of human value come from? Yeah. Right. And I, let's that's talk, a question. Let's that's a question worth that. asking because I think most times in people in this space, when I've interacted with folks, they've not really given that any thought. And, like, and, where do where do our morals come from? Mm. Where does our ethics come from? Like, typically in the West, they're not just typically they are coming from a Judeo Christian worldview, and they and the, we're living in it, and we don't give it any thought at all. Right. That that potentially the way I think about the unborn, uh, if I don't think about it in this, it has application and implication, but. Where am I getting that? Mm. It's a very pragmatic worldview. That's that's right. It's a Darwinian worldview. It's a it's a completely around the survival of the fittest. Yeah, and if you're not fit, you're gone. Right. There are so many people out there that I'm sure you you're you're thinking to yourself, I know people who don't know Christ, who have nothing to do with the Judeo-Christian worldview, and they treat people great. We are not saying that people outside of the Christian faith 
don't treat people great. There are plenty of people who treat people great. What we're talking about are the underlying assumptions and belief system of why you treat people the way you do. Yeah, and it's powerful when you can understand why. It's going to help you go, oh my goodness, that's why I respect my elders. Or Mm -hmm. that's why I love and care and have concern for someone who has dementia. Mm. Okay, or that's why I'm going to look at that child who can't walk yet, and we're going to nurture and take care of the orphan or the immigrant or right. et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera. So where does human value come from if you don't have a MAGA day? Well, it's got to come from personal preference. Yeah, it's feelings. I, I do it because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, if, if I think that person has value, then they have value. I, I was in a conversation with... Um, with a family member one time, this was years ago, but they didn't believe that there was an objective moral reality, that God has given us an objective standard to live by. And I I said, you know, so basically you're saying that if if someone were to murder your wife, you'd be okay with that? And the person said, well, I wouldn't like it, but I wouldn't be able to say it was wrong. That's the level we're talking about when we're going to put our human value on a personal preference level is dangerous yep. um, because your personal preferences change based on what you had for breakfast. Yeah, that's right. Well, let me ask you a question, Trev. Let's, let's, let's look back at history. Where did Adolf Hitler and all things in Germany, World War II, and the final solution, where were they putting their idea of personhood or mm-hmm. moral ethics? What, what were they doing? Well, I would say that for Nazi Germany, which, by the way, is happening in the same place 500 years later, after the Reformation, yeah. you know, it's the same soil yeah. of the Reformation, which is amazing um, that just 500 years later, I think it's uh, based on some sort of social constructed morality. And what, I, what I'm talking about there is we all are getting together and agreeing based on where society is that this is wrong at the moment. And so we create laws and we have those laws that define our socially constructed reality. Now, to get around the idea of a socially constructed reality, think about money. So the difference between having a dollar standard, like a gold standard or silver, your money now does not have a gold or silver behind it. Well, unless you're a right? part of the BRICS uh, cohort. Right. But we'll talk about that another day. Right. The money in your wallet, we, our society has come together and said, this is how much that, that money is worth. That's a socially constructed value. So you make laws that govern the social, socially constructed reality. But how do you know that the laws that you're keeping are God's laws or right laws unless there's a higher law that you're living by? The danger is that in one generation, you may kill six million Jews. In the next generation, it may be your ethnic group that's coming into the crosshairs because that social constructed morality can shift over time. And we've seen it shift over time. Yeah. So that's a way, you know, or another way that uh, value is determined is based on capacity. And this is what we see with the elderly. We see this with the unborn, that people who have a diminished capacity now have a diminished value. In society. In society. In in that world. And we will fall into that trap too if we're not careful. We've got to be careful. Yeah, I I would say in my lifetime, that is what I've seen more about where the Imago Dei itself has helped me 
has served me. It's helped me not just to make decisions based on political whims. It's helped me make decisions based on the scripture and honoring God. I, I heard a great example one time about, you know, punishment and judgment and who you're hurting. Like if, if somebody just walked in this room right now and slapped me in the face, mm. it wouldn't be that big a deal. It'd probably be annoying. And, and I'd, I'd try to do my best not to slap them back. Mm. But if we let We know you, Brad. We know what would happen. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> the Lord's sanctifying yeah, you. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but, but if we were to walk today and, and pick a governor of any state and we were to try to slap the governor. Mm, different. Oh, different. There would be immediate, mm-hmm. immediate penalty. Repercussion. repercussion. You know, then you go a little further and you say, what if you tried to slap the president? Doesn't matter which one. Just, the Uzis are coming out. Yeah. You might not breathe. Mm. Okay. Okay, so the reality that we need to reckon with is the Bible speaks very clearly that one of the reasons that sin is such a big deal when I sin against my brother or I sin against someone else is I'm not actually just sinning against the image. Oh, this is good. I'm actually sinning against the one that created the image, God himself. Mm. And so the reason that I'm going to love well Everyone from every kind of background and every kind of human creed and ethnicity is because they've been made in the image of the God Mm. of the Bible. Mm. And as a Christ follower, I believe that. And so that's why the Imago Dei doctrine is such a powerful doctrine for a unity and diversity in the church. It's such a powerful doctrine for reconciliation, for forgiveness. It's such a powerful doctrine for loving the least and the lost and the last, because many times capacity is the reason that we put those folks in our cultural constructs to the margins and call them the least, the lost, and the last is because they can't give me or do something for me Mm. because they don't have a job or they don't have the ability or because they can't walk or what ever. But one of the powerful things is when we as Christ followers take up the image of the Imago Dei and we begin to apply it, then we love our enemies as we love ourselves. We begin to apply it so we love the unborn. Mm. We begin to apply it so we love people that on other sides of the political aisle would be different than you or me or another nation state, or we love those that are coming to the end of their life. So end of life care or medical care or education, all of these things are held together from the Imago Dei. And it's such a big deal for Christian living and practice because it says so much, not just about humanity, but of the God who made humanity. Mm. And as we uphold the Imago Dei in our lives, we actually are celebrating and magnifying the God who made people. Mm. That's where Imago Dei has found value in my everyday living. That's, that's so beautiful. Well, as folks are developing in the dark, where are the places in Scripture that they need to be diving into? I targeted, you know, three, four, five places here. Uh, obviously, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, because you're not only getting there, this idea that we're made in the likeness of God, but he's giving us purpose and value. Be fruitful, multiply, go into the earth. How are we like Subdue God? Subdue it. Yeah. yeah. How are we like yes. God? Go into the earth and cultivate it, make culture, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that's a really important one. I probably, on record, I probably get quoted in sermons talking about Genesis 1, 26 through 27, through 31, right through there, as much as any passage. Mm. That's because good. because it's it's the origin. And and like you were just mentioning, it's not just that we're creating the image of God, it's that he's given us sovereign dominion or a kingdom to rule and reign over and cause it to flourish. And mm. so as we build our families, build our communities, build our jobs, we're actually called to do something in those spaces that create flourishment. Good. And so that's a that's a massive passage. I know there's a lot of psalms that are in that same right. kind of space. Um, Anyone come to mind? Well, there? Psalm 8 is 
what many people call a lyric echo of Genesis 1.26. A lyric echo. Right. So you're getting a song that is telling us where we fit in the creative order. Mm-hmm. We're not just above animals. We're just a little lower than the heavenly being. Wow. Um, so it situates us uh, appropriately um, with value and dignity. You also have Genesis 5. You have Genesis 9. What I would say about Genesis 5 and Genesis 9 is that by this time, sin has come into the world and distorted the image of God. Yep. And you see... We got to reckon with that reality because that's in the earth now. You see it. You see that spinning out of control. You see the consequences of a distorted, broken image of God, but the image of God is still there. Genesis 9, so much so that it says, if you were to take a human life, your life is required of you because you've wrecked the image of God. So even though <sighs> sins in the world, sins yeah. in the world, and it's and it, a person still made in the image of God. Yeah. What is that called? The Noahic co- covenant? Right. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Well, and then how do we get the image of God restored? It's restored in Christ, in the gospel. who is the most beautiful picture of the image of God that we have, right? Mm. And so Colossians, Paul writes, would call him oh. the, yeah, right? He, he is, is the, the image, image of, of the, the invisible God, the firstborn. firstborn of all creation. Now listen to this, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. There's your connection to Genesis 1, 27 through 31. It's talking about the dominions and the authorities, and all of this has been created for him and through him so that when we take him into ourselves, now we can usher in a new kingdom again. And so this is why you have two kingdoms in the earth. That's a whole other conversation for another day, but you have the original first creation, Mm. and then it gets distorted by sin, and this is why it's so important to be born again renewed in Christ so that we now can usher in a new creation. Mm. Right, a new kingdom that'll be perfected. That'll be perfected, That's and so beautiful. it is here, and it's been inaugurated, but it's not yet been consummated. And we're living in the in between, helping to use our imago day to bring the kingdom that is now and not yet. That's why we pray. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth, earth as it is in heaven. Well, Brad, that's our time for today. What, what a fun, be- man. what a beautiful conversation! And I, I know that it, as you're developing in the dark. You're listening to this content. You're going to continue the conversation uh, with your friends, with your family about Imago Day, why it's so important, and the implication it has to the value of life. So we're just thankful for you. We're praying for you and blessings to you as you develop in the dark. We love you. Thanks for listening to Develop in the Dark. We hope that today's episode will help the light in you shine brighter than the light on you.